0: This program is brought to you by the Garden Gurus and
1: Scott's Performance Naturals. Scott's Performance Naturals is the 100% natural and sustainable way to grow and feed your garden. Backed by years of research and developed by scientists, the technology employed enhances natural processes allowing extra strong growth. The Performance Naturals range contains organic materials such as nature n, blood and bone, seaweed, biostimulants, manure and feather meal to improve the soil and encourage microbial and earthworm activity. To find out more about the Scots Performance Naturals range, head to lovethegarden.com.au.
0: Hello, good morning. Welcome to The Garden Gurus Live. I'm Trevor Cochran. We've got a great show for you today. We've got some amazing prizes to give away as well. Five fabulous books and five packets of seed from our friends at Mr. Fothergill's. And that is all about you posting your questions. Now, when you post your questions, couple of little tips. First thing that you must keep in mind is please post the question, but tell us where you're from. Just just Melbourne, you know, if it's a, if it's a country town, just let us know where you're from, that's really important. And uh, what else do we need to know about that? Well, look, to be quite honest, if you've got photos, particularly if you're asking about a specific plant or you want us to ID something, please post those photos as well. We can, we can take care of that and uh, answer those questions. I'm really excited today because um, we have got s- some really wonderful special guests coming up. A couple of familiar faces, Andrew O'Karrigan from Evergreen Garden Care, now, he's going to solve this problem that a lot of people have as we come into entertaining period. You've got all your friends coming around the house. Suddenly, the lawn starts to go brown. He's going to show us how to turn it green almost instantly. It's amazing. David Van Burkle, my good mate from Garden Express, he's back, and he's got two awesome offers. This is all about, you know, getting things that are delivered direct to your doorstep from the country's leading garden center, Garden Express. We'll talk to David a bit later on. One of the things that I am really thrilled about is we have an interview that we've done with one of the world's great garden designers, um, absolutely charming Dubliner Peter Donegan. Now Peter's garden design company has done some amazing things over the years, and I can't wait to actually uh, to share this this conversation with you. You'll you'll really enjoy it. Um, it's a really wonderful insight into how differently some people think. Now, to start the show, I wanted to share some news. We've got some breaking news out of the United Kingdom, thinking uh, of Peter in Ireland. This is in the UK and this is why weeding is such an important thing. You see, this particular person was out doing some weeding in the garden, started pulling up their thistles and guess what they found? a hoard of 15th century gold coins whilst pulling up the weeds. They all started popping through. They are believed to have been buried somewhere around about 1540. They were found in Hampshire. Um, 63 gold coins and one silver. Can you believe it? So there is gold out there in the garden. Just keep doing that weeding, hey? (laughs) Now let's uh, fly into a few uh, questions. And the first one that we're going to address this morning came in from Sheree in Victoria. Good morning, Sheree, and hello to everybody in Victoria. Now she's got several planters on a paling fence and uh, she's got a couple of pictures here to show. The first one shows plants that have been in those planters for about 12 months. And the second one's just now. These are plants sitting inside empty wooden planters. They're still in their original pots. The question is, can she leave the plants in the original pots or... The, or will they turn like the ones in picture one and um, start to become tired and and, uh, and not look great? Look, the, the truth of the matter is, and this is the answer to, to all potted plants, is that right now is the best time of the year to be actually repotting all of your plants. And that's what you're gonna have to do with those planters, no matter what you do. So if you left them in the original pots, they will still need to be repotted in six to 12 months. They'll look like the others did. If you put a really good potting mix into those planters, and a water absorbency gel or crystal or even better, a mineral in there that holds them, you'll find that those plants will grow really, really well. And that's the key, is making sure that you do put them into a good potting mix. Make sure they keep water um, up to them and they'll be fine. Bless you, Michaela. We had a little (laughs) sneeze going on here. Very well held too. Um, Now, uh, let's go. I hope that helps you, Cherie. Uh, Bam in Perth. Oh my God, my agapanthers are dying, please help. They're no longer thick and lush and they're, they're whisk, whisk, I think it's wispy and the leaves are brown. Uh, and I can see the soil through them, so it's a bad sign. Now Bam, that's a classic case of them drying out and Perth has had some really hot dry days recently and you'll see them, they'll deteriorate quite quickly, agapanthers. They're, they're full of moisture, they require a lot of moisture to keep them looking good. And so the key for you right now is probably going to be get a wetting agent onto them, get a big thick layer of mulch around the outside and make sure the sprinklers are delivering water to them. Your sprinklers, depending on the type you have, should be delivering somewhere between 10 and 15 mil per watering. And agapanthus, if you're on scheme water in Perth, you're only able to water twice a week. They might need a hand water outside of that as well. So on those days like we've had in the last few days where it's in the, the mid to high 30s, Um, this is when you need to make sure you keep the water up to them. Bam, you water them. And uh, a bit of wetting agent to make sure that water's getting into the roots and keep the mul- uh, keep the mulch up, and you'll be fine. Steve, we've got another one from Perth. It's it's all happening in Perth today, which is great. Um, looking for some advice on zygo care and maintenance. Now zygos are xigo zygo cactus, so they're a, a cactus. They love hot, dry conditions. They do really well when potted up this time of the year. In fact, if you haven't potted them, they're, they're quite sort of got quite a dense root system. Uh, you will find that they'll kind of struggle. They go dormant almost during the summer months. But if you put them into a really good potting mix, and this ideally is a cactus and succulent potting mix, so one of those ones from Osmocote, you'll see the specialised mix there, um, pot them up into the next size pot that you can get. So if they're in a 15 centimetre pot, move them to a 17 or 18 centimetre pot. Um, that That's going to allow them to grow and get a really nice shape through the summer months. Absolutely Vitally important. Now, I did promise you that we would have a great deal coming up, and uh, that is what we are about to to show you. We're about to share it with my good mate David Van Berkel. And David, it's great to see you, mate. I, I thought I heard a rumour that you were out on the tractor last week working in the field, but then I found out later on that you might have been at the local winery. Uh,
1: possibly, possibly I was at a winery, Trevor. <laughs> like uh, it can't be all work and no play. I'm sure it was um, research. Well, they do joke here that there's more play than work going on these days. So,
0: <laughs> Great to see you, mate. Hey, listen, tell us about, you've got two amazing offers this week. Tell us about your offers.
1: Uh, I have, Trevor. We've got some garden tools. I'm, I'm introducing my signature range of uh, of garden gear. And as yep. you know, I'm a third generation uh, farmer, I suppose, uh, mm-hmm. whilst we've got the uh, the online store. But I remember growing up around, you know, some of the best gear, really old wooden-handled stuff. They weather well, um, and my grandparents always talked about having quality. So yep. I wanted to bring the tools that I use to, uh, to our customers as well. So the first set I've got for you is um, a fork and spade set, uh, yep. quality stainless steel with the ash handle coming in a beautiful gift box here, Trevor. Yeah, uh, regularly it's uh, $190, and we're doing an introductory
0: offer for $129. Wow, that's a 30% saving. Yes, it's huge. It's it's beautiful. It's massive. And um, there, there is, you know, I I'm I concur with you and and, and uh, you know your your parents and grandparents' comments about tools. If you do not have quality tools. They, you're always let down, you tend to work harder to try and get the, the job done. But once you've got a good quality tool, it stays with you forever.
1: It, it's, it's frustrating when you when you opt for the cheap option. And, and, and I've done it and I've got them, you know. A good gardener's probably got six sets of tools lying around because you want yep. them handy. But you always go for your favourites, right? Pick up that, that worn pair of secateurs or something. So yep. that's what we wanted to do was just sort of, you know, the tools that I'm using every day, uh, and, and that I find work and last, that, that's what we wanted to do for our customers. And the
0: other thing is stainless steel um, tools, they kind of, they were huge probably in the 70s, 60s, 70s, and there's a reason for it, and that's that they're such an efficient um, tool to use. Plus, they stay clean, right? It's not too hard to clean them back up and, and have a looking fantastic. Exactly.
1: Out. You know, like even clay soils tend to fall off the stainless steel really yeah. well. Um, so they maintain their sharpness a lot better. Uh, yeah. So you Just, just it's and they don't bend and and, and break when you hit a stone or something. Trev.
0: Trev. Yeah. So so that's a, a stainless steel border spade and a border fork for 129 bucks. A sixty-one dollar yep. saving off your normal regular uh, retail price.
1: Yep, for sure. And uh, and as you can see, gift box ready to present to uh, to your dad or your mum or. Or, uh, awesome. you know, one of your favourite gardens, yep.
0: Or somebody you love, yeah. Now, what about things like, um, you know, those uh, hand tools, uh, shovels, cultivators, scoops, those sorts of things. You've got anything in that space?
1: Yeah, we've got one of those as well. We've got a, a nice gift box set, Trev, and we're throwing in a bonus this week of, uh, of a, a wooden handle pair of secateurs. I picked these ones up about uh, about a decade ago, and um, yeah. you know, I'm an avid fan of, uh, of Felco. The Felco brand is a, is a super tool. But yep. we just found that with uh, with the signature range, we want to present something different. So um, we've got a, uh, a garden scoop, a um, a trowel with the uh, with the measurements on it, so you can know how deep to plant your bulbs. Yeah, uh, and then a combination tool for your scarifying. Uh, that tool set, Trev, is um, regularly ninety nine dollars, and we've yep. got that for sixty nine this week.
0: Sixty nine plus you get the bonus pruner.
1: Plus the bl- Plus the bonus pruner. I've, yeah, got a, that, I've got a handle set here. I'm not sure if your viewers are going I, to see that.
0: I've got those those pruners. I got some off you last year. They are fantastic. They are really good. What what you probably didn't mention about those pruners is it's forged steel. So it's it's one one big steel blade all the way down. It's a fantastic pruner. They are it's stainless brilliant. Stainless
1: steel. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. 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 And, and really comfortable, Trevor. You know that's that's the thing with a a set of pruners has to have a nice balance in your hand. Um, yeah. So, yeah, these have definitely got that with a, with a decent bit of weight to them.
0: Another lifetime tool, mate. So, let, just take me back, though, $98.90, um, now 69 bucks. So, that's, what, a 30% saving?
1: Again, a 30%. Yeah, it's Christmas time, mate. The gifts have to wow. come from somewhere. So,
0: so okay, well, let, let's uh, – so people can get their hands on this, mate. How do they do it?
1: Uh, go to www.gardenexpress.com.au and all the offers will be there on the, uh, on the homepage.
0: And there's only one person who's going to appreciate this Christmas message um, like you will, and that's me. Ho, 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 mate. Thanks very much. Too good, Trevor. <laughs> Thanks for your time. Take care, David. It's great to uh, catch up. What a fantastic bloke. Thanks, mate. We're going to fly back into some questions and we'll help everybody. Those are great deals from, um, from Garden Express. The quality of stuff you get from Garden Express is sensational and that's why we work with David and, and Rowan and all the team out there. And, of course, it's all delivered direct to your door, which is fantastic. So you can order online. Here's, I reckon here's my my favourite person, Teller from Upper Hunter. It's great to see you in the in New South Wales. Now, you're saying indoor plants are having a huge revival throughout COVID, uh, but lots of greenery gets a bit old for you. So what plants are best suited for flowers indoors? And Teller, one of my favourites, and, and they are absolutely gorgeous, are what known uh, what are known as the flamingo flowers or uh, anthuriums, and they are just the most amazing uh, indoor plant. Beautiful dark foliage, wonderful lily-like, um, and they're a member of the lily family, lily-like um, flowers in pinks and whites and beautiful reds. There's a whole range of them out there. So that's, without doubt, they're, they're probably the best. Of course, the The hardiest and most common is probably the spathophyllum. They are without doubt brilliant. And something that's not really a flower, it's a bract, but of course right at the moment uh, there's nothing quite like poinsettias. So there's a few ideas for you. I hope that helps. Melissa in the Gold Coast, hello to you, Melissa. You've got a small young feijoa tree. Now it's been planted in a pot on the balcony in a lovely sunny position. Plants watered frequently with good drainage, but over the last few weeks the leaves and the plants have started to discolour. They appear dry and shriveled. and and it appears to be getting worse. Why is this happening? Um, The other surrounding plants around the Fejoa are all doing fine. Well, this is kind of not good news for you. It's not water, it's not too much sun. What it is, is a little insect known as the red spider mite or two spotted mite. This is a, it's a tiny little insect that actually gets underneath the leaf and it punches holes in each of the individual cells and sucks out the nutrient, including the green uh, of the chlorophyll as it eats them, there's millions of them be sitting underneath those leaves. And what it does is it leaves the plants looking very bland. It's like it's just lost its colour. It's not happy, it's not healthy. And eventually the leaves go silver, they shrivel and they'll fall off. You really need to treat this. And there's two ways you can do it. One is that you can get a hose on, um, one of those hose on uh, liquid uh, horticultural soaps. So there's a few different types. You can also do you can use oils in the same way, but you have to—you actually have to get it underneath the leaf, which is not an easy thing to do. The other thing you could do is you could go online to a website called thegoodbug.net.au, and the Good Bug site sells predatory insects. So these are mite varieties that will predate the other mite variety. It'll—it'll it'll actually eat the red spider mite, and. Um, it's simple, you literally order these online. They come in a, in a postal tube, in a tube like that, and you'll see there's some leaves inside. You pull those leaves out and you actually put them into the base of the pots all around your balcony, because the other thing I should say is that th- it's not an exclusive thing with joeas. They love joeas, but they will move to the other plants as well, and they're probably already there. So stopping the problem getting out of control will be putting the predatory mites all around that area They will move on from plant to plant. They'll eat all the others and they'll stop the spread of it. It's better than using poisons. It's certainly a lot easier than trying to spray underneath all the foliage and and get control with an eco-soap or oil kind of product. Um, Yeah, it's quite a serious problem. And, And I've got it in my garden at the moment. I've got thrips and mites all doing the same thing. And my solution is to introduce these predatory mites now because it takes about two to four weeks for the cycle to catch up but once they, they do catch up, because there's so much food, uh, these predatory mites end up being in populations that can really maintain it. And um, it's not a problem in the future. And usually it's a control for many years ahead. So I hope that helps. That's a significant problem that people all over the country in warm, dry conditions will be experiencing. Jill in Victoria. Hello, Jill. Welcome to the show. When your herbs go to seed, can you take those seeds and germinate them? Well, absolutely, totally best way to do it is to collect the seeds off, put them into a brown paper bag. Really easy way to go. And um, you literally just store them away, basically get through the summer months, plant them again in the autumn for the vast majority of seeds. Things like um, basil uh, or stevia, you wouldn't do that. You would plant th- those seeds in the spring, but definitely collect your seeds. One of the things about seeds is when you buy packet seeds, most of those seeds have been grown overseas and imported to Australia. Um, that's the big seed growing places in the world or in, in Europe and, and also in South America. Those plants, those seeds uh, that, that were grown over there are actually genetically programmed to that environmental situation. So if you grow them, they tend to the first year that they'll grow, the plant might not do quite as well because it's adjusting uh, its new mechanism to the environment that it's growing in. It's, um, it's, it's genes, if you like the next generation, those seeds that will come from the plant that you've grown in your garden, they will be far better attuned to your garden environment. In fact, if you can get them to naturally spread through the garden, even better again. Um, Yeah, so I hope that helps. That's definitely something you should be doing. Jackie says, thank you, Jackie from Rockhampton. I'm loving the show. Love Rockhampton, Jackie. It's a beautiful part of the world. Can you help me with my beautiful frangipani? I'm told it's being affected by rust. Now, rust is a problem for frangipanis. There's a couple of fungicides you can use that are really effective in controlling it. And the best thing to do is to take a leaf, pop it in a plastic bag, ziplock or seal the top of the plastic bag, take it into your local garden centre, confirm it's definitely rust, and they will give you one of the three or four different fungicides that are really effective against treating rust. And generally, the solution is a spray and it's spraying over the foliage. It really does uh, make a huge difference. And you do need to do it now because you, what what will happen is all the leaves that are affected will eventually be dropped off the plant by the tree. And uh, you don't want that. You want to be enjoying lots of lush growth. I hope that helps, Jackie. Staying, uh, well, actually heading south now into New South Wales. Jodie, hello. How do I get rid of cooch grass in my garden? Now, cooch grass in gardens is a big problem because once it's in there, if you're pulling it out, you're actually propagating it. You'll find that you end up with it sort of taking off and and really, uh, you know, really going crazy. So um, we've just had a little spill here. So I'm just helping Michaela. She's, I don't know what I do sometimes. What a great team.
2: <laughs> Let
0: me go back to the cooch grass. So cooch grass spreading through the garden beds can be a really significant problem. Um, but what you've got to do is you've got to make sure that you treat it with a systemic herbicide. Now, what systemic means is that you spray it on the foliage and it goes all the way down into the soil and it kills the roots off. Now, uh, one of those, one of the most commonly known ones, of course, is Roundup, Roundup or zero. It's glyphosate is the active ingredient and that will kill uh, all the way through, but you can't, at any point risk that coming in contact with your other plants. So there is a solution and it's really, um, it's a really, really effective one. It is what's known as a selective herbicide. It's one called Fusillard. It's been around for years. You will not be able to probably get your hands on it yourself. It's only usually sold through rural stores and it is a significant um, uh, cost. It's for a litre, it's well over $100. So you're probably not going to want to spend that sort of money. The way to get it done is to speak to your local gyms or VIP or, you know, specialist horticultural lawnmower garden care company. Ask them to come around and spray those garden beds with fusillade. And what happens is you can quite literally spray this chemical over... All the plants in the garden bed, except for those that are types of grasses like bamboos, um, but anything, all the broadleaf plants, your roses, it doesn't matter. You can spray it all the way through, all around the outside. Doesn't matter if it comes in contact with them. It will only kill the cooch grass and it'll kill it all the way down. And, and once you've got control of that, it's never a problem. i probably labored on that a little bit too long, but it is a um, it is a really, really serious problem if you start trying to pull it out. Now Donna from Muchay in Perth, I'm just wondering if it is all possible to get fruit trees sprayed professionally for fruit fly. I notice that some properties in the upper swan don't have the nets or baits and they don't seem to have any problems. So they are spraying and there are sprays that you can, you can put on. There are baits that you can mix and actually rub on the tree. And of course there's also those yellow sticky traps and that's what I use in my garden. So I hope that helps Donna. But As far as getting a professional in, yeah, look, you probably wanna speak to your local garden care company. First point of contact is probably gonna be your local independent garden center and find out from them who in the area is servicing that particular need. But around town, generally, it is looked after. Where are we gonna go next? Let's go and see the Blue Mountains. Hello, Roz, how are you? Your hydrangeas are all white. Any natural ideas on how to make them blue again? It's a bit unusual white is actually generally a variety. So um, you don't usually see a blue hydrangea um, turn white. You can see a blue hydrangea turn pink though. And if you're wondering why that's happening, it's all about the soil pH. So it's acid and alkaline. If it's more alkaline, they'll turn pink. If it's more acid, they'll turn blue. That's the great thing about hydrangeas. But there are a bunch of specific varieties out there. Um, Lace caps, which are a different sort of flower and they're uh, a very, uh, always a very consistent color. And then you've got some, you've actually got some permanent blues. You've also got some reds and you've got some permanent whites, but very rare to ever see a a blue turn white. So if you're going to try and bring it back to blue, the way I would do it is I would use something called um, aluminium sulfate or iron sulfate. the other one that you can use. And it's all about acidifying the soil. That's basically what you want to do. You want to try and make your soil more acid and you'll get them to turn blue. Or if you want them to turn pink, then you need to apply lime and that will make it more alkaline because that's how it all works. So I hope that helps you. That's the way you manipulate the colours of your hydrangeas. Things we learn, things we do, hey? Um, got a nice comment from Bam. Thank you for your advice. Love you guys. My Aggies will thank you for it. We'll send us a photo, Bam. That's great. Great feedback. Thank you. Now, I'm really thrilled uh, with my next guest who's joining us, and um, it, was, it was just during the week I had the opportunity to speak with Dublin-based garden designer, and um, this guy, Peter Donegan, is an exceptional designer doing some really fascinating work, so I hope you enjoy this chat as much as I did.
3: Visit the Garden Guru's online store and browse through a collection of high-quality, German-made wolfgarten tools. You'll also find a range of books with information to help create and maintain a beautiful garden. You can also access the online store on the Garden Guru's Facebook page. Use the code Gurus for free shipping on orders over $30. Offer ends 31st of October.
0: Peter, it's lovely to see you again. How's life in Ireland at the moment? Tell me a little bit about the weather just at present.
2: Um, well, it's great to see you too, Trevor. But uh, regarding Ireland's Ireland's Ireland's, Ireland's weather, um, I think Ireland is predominantly great for growing grass. Uh, mm-hmm. Lots of rain, um, and sometimes even when the sun is shining, it's also raining as well. And um, <laughs> but, but but ultimately, I think Ireland is. Uh, is a magical daydream of a place for a a tall grown-up child like me who probably hasn't entirely evolved and manages to translate some of those daydreams into things that photosynthesize. (laughs) Tell tell me,
0: you know, I I love the Emerald Isle. It's a beautiful place, home to some spectacular gardens, and you're so lucky to be able to work there. But over the last few years, you've really done some pretty amazing stuff with historic gardens, haven't you?
2: Yeah, I've been fortunate enough, to be honest with you, Trevor. In uh, 2018, I was selected to represent Ireland, and I designed one of 14 international gardens to commemorate the centenary of the ending of World War I. Mm-hmm. Um, They were called Jardín de la Paix, or Gardens of Peace, and so my garden was located in a 13th century castle in the dried up moat, 30 foot below street level. And um, uh, I relocated to France for probably about four months in total. And we, we, we built this garden. It's, it's entirely unusual because most gardens that you see or that your viewers would see um a bit like your the the garden you did the 40k and 40 days garden Mm -hmm. you'd walk in and you'd see it at eye level and you'd look down at your feet but this one the first time you saw it was almost like being in a helicopter looking down into the moat and then you were sort of wooed down into it and then it became a question of whether you stayed or not um uh, so that was one i think then we went and did a uh, a spring flower show garden so for those who who maybe live in a different continent with different climates mm-hmm. ultimately trees without leaf just on the verge of coming into and to make a show garden for the royal horticultural society in spring with a full team um and we did that we got a silver medal from there and we were due this year to go back to france employed directly by the uh, French castle on this occasion mm-hmm. to do the internal courtyard of the the castle, which is a, another feat of how do you get everything in. Um, and we were also due to Hampton Court Palace Flower Show, another Royal Horticultural Society show, um, and also the largest flower show in the world. So it's been a little bit of a whirlwind uh, over the last three, four years. Yeah. Um, and then I think there's a point where it's sort of... Um, it was put on hiatus is probably a very eloquent word yes yeah. yeah 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 so so with the
0: the work that you've been doing the considerations as the designer you you're obviously you want to be sympathetic to the history of the garden but you're bringing bringing a touch of Ireland to the design to how, how does that all work?
2: in in the french castle it was a tricky one but ultimately if you go back to old irish poetry what you start to realize is everything was done through symbolism so ireland would have been not said in poetry but it would have been represented by a cow or usually some sort of um you know thing of again it's the ultimate of of daydreams and how do you write a letter without mentioning somebody's name and how you actually feel about them so in in a sense the the ideology of having a sort of a shamrock with three parts to a garden was way out the window and anything of leprechauns was certainly definitely gone out the door you couldn't have had any of that (laughs) sort of stuff in it but what we what i did funnily enough was we made a seat a a seating on one part which Mm -hmm. was 13 and a half linear meters long. And it was based on a, a, a part of an island off the coast of Ireland called Dundacar. And mm-hmm. Dundacar, off more um, part of it where the monks used to go to, um, how do you say, retreat yep. on the edge of the island, overlooking um, literally the, the, the worst and the best of fantastic Irish <laughs> weather all in one go, and it was just made entirely of stone. And so we loosely based that seating on the shape of what they had made way back when, which was 14th century, and we were in a 13th century castle. Um, the trees, which we would take as native Irish, which is the take or the hawthorn, yep. um, we brought them in, but again, at the same token, I got the nurseries to grow them or to reshape them sort of a little bit more formally. So we had everything that you would need in a garden that was fitting, of a 13th century castle mm-hmm. that would make people stay longer, that was ultimately beautiful, which primarily it has to woo you in and make yeah. you stay longer. The the, the good brief for any garden, but everything that we put in that was, you might say, of Irish, was very much hidden. Mm-hmm. And unless it was explained to you, you probably wouldn't know the difference. But again, there's a courtesy to the people of Peron in northern France, and there's a courtesy to the Garden that ultimately was going to be left for French people to enjoy. So it can't be a Peter Donegan Memorial Garden. Yeah, it has to be something to, as much as I would have liked it to have been. But at yeah. the same token, yeah,
0: big challenge yeah. and and obviously very important project uh in the context of what it was all about. That's um, it's pretty amazing. I I wanted to talk to you with regards to. Um, when, when we first met, you know, it's, um, one of those garden shows, I still say it's one of the very best in the world. And and Bloom is something that uh, I think, you know, you really do get to see some amazing talent on show and, and you realize the depth of, uh, of, you know, Irish design talent. You guys, you, you've got beautiful nurseries with beautiful plants and that's all on show at Bloom. But, but the design side of things is such a big deal. And, and you've been covering it for media. You've been participating in it. Tell, tell us a little bit about Bloom.
2: Um, Bloom, I guess, was or became uh, Ireland's premier garden show in 2007. Uh, it was billed as, as Ireland's answer to Chelsea. Um, but I guess when you take a collective of 30-plus designers who've never... Uh, had the opportunity within their own country to to piece a show together. So when we first met, it was in 2007 and it was mm. about seven o'clock in the morning and there was a full crew traipsing across this show garden which was about to be open to the public for the first time. Um, and I think now since then, what it did was it gave me and certainly a lot of other designers in this country an opportunity on our own doorstep to not have to travel to the bigger island, as I call it, or or mainland UK, yep. to to go and build show gardens abroad, which was the only really was the only way in at this at that time anyway to to go and do it. Uh, since then, I have gone and done um, a couple of gardens with the, the Royal Horticultural Society, but there's no question about it. You you certainly look at what the others are doing. Um, You certainly noticed the the changes and trends and garden design, I think on an international level, which has been obviously you've seen and you've been there a couple of times and we've met each other a couple of times there. Mm. But when it's on your own doorstep, it does have an influence and people do tend to notice it. And Ireland evolved very, very, very quickly because all you need is one person to go. Ahead of the block or ahead of the curve yep. for it to get the media attention, and you'll swiftly see that others will follow. The, the The next year, at least, in the finishing touches and in the levels that are required and in the demands that are required in that, and, and you know how tricky that is, Trevor. Mm.
0: And you know, look, it, it's it's one of my favourite shows because it has evolved in the, the three times that I think that I've been there over the last decade. Every single time, it just gets better and better. It's a great show to visit. One of the things that's really impressive about the show and, and it's a point of difference for me to a lot of the other shows in the world is the trends that you do see there and uh, Irish nurseries are, are doing so much work with regards to new plants and, and new trends in plants. What's what, what are the big moves over there at the moment with regards to popularity?
2: The, the big move Trevor and, and, and to, to go back for your viewers if you go back to 2000 and one say to five 15 approximate years ago everything or every remit that i was given as a garden designer was of low maintenance it was an expansive patio it was usually some sort of bamboo phylostachis or uh, a variation of phargesia maybe um and ultimately there wasn't a whole lot of excitement to it as far as I would have been concerned anyway, but that was usually what what I was asked. When you go to the international, I'm hesitant to say the word, but depression or recession of the tens going forward, everything seemed to be sort of culled and cut back. And it was, how do you make a garden on on a lesser budget to an extent? And so you've gone from a low maintenance of little planting to uh, another five years forward of little to zero planting um and now we're at a point where the biggest thing in trend is a, a sort of an eloquent way to how do i bluntly put it i've got cash but i've also got class yeah. and the the easiest way to do that is to have mature planting because it's it's not a chandelier in a place where it shouldn't be shown mm-hmm. it, it bringing in a hedge that is two and a half meters tall and dropping it into a place where it never existed beforehand in the middle of a new development mm-hmm. is pretty classy. And there's a high level of respect uh, to that. I think, um, uh, if I'm, again, I'm hesitant to say this word, but in, in, in a lockdown year, I think a lot of people have had a lot of time to turn around and look at their backyard and having painted the entire house on numerous occasions within a very short space of time. yeah, And they've also turned around and said, my 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 grey walls that are of symmetry don't really inspire me. We should mm-hmm. do something different. And when you go and you look at even the Instagrams of show gardens, again, that we've been involved in, the backdrop for every show garden I've ever done is a two and a half metre tall Taxus baccata, 20 metres long by 10 metres wide. And there's a reason wow. why we use that plant. It's a dark, black, glossy green. Every colour bounces off of that. And if you've got the money... And if you've got the the trust, I guess, in in um, engaging a garden designer like myself, then you can, uh, how shall I say, it? you can go to the ball. You can have all of the things that you dream of. Yeah. And so, once you take the two and a half metre tall um, hedge into context, then it's a case of, well, I don't really want to see my neighbour at the back. Let's bring in a four metre tall. Plant that is of a specific shape that will actually fill that void and and eloquently i suppose it's the greatest replacement for curtain netting is a a sense of privacy so um yeah hedging mature trees mature hedging and then funnily enough there's a movement back into the really 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 old herbaceous planting um we're starting to see come back in again so rather than having um, Books of Sempervirens or, or box balls, which uh-huh. became a, a mainstay for low maintenance gardens. If you look at what's happening behind the scenes with places like RHS Wisley, which is Royal Horticultural Society's flagship garden, yeah. one of the things they'd come out with was a an alternative to box hedging um, area of about a half an acre. And it was for designers like myself to go in and say, well, okay, that would do as a replica hedge. And and ultimately, what I was saying was, look, pest and disease is going to prevent you from, and of course, we've had pests and diseases come in to do with the, with, with box hedging, box blight, as you'd well be aware. Yeah. And, and it's just coming up with uh, alternatives. People are starting to get smart and cleverer. I think the availability of information, Trevor, you don't need to go to the library anymore to find out what you should do with your garden and look at no. some design books. You know, it's changed yep. a bit. And yeah. not just
0: that. There's um, there's some pretty good TV shows. Uh, you've been doing some work with uh, DIY SOS, haven't you? The Big Build Island.
2: Yes, Trevor. They they realised eventually. Somebody realised that I was terribly good looking and had a great sense of humour. And uh, <laughs> and you don't normally they, get
0: that package, do you?
2: No, Trevor. Well, you know as well as I do. It's it's tough being. You know, there's only two of us really. Yeah. And, the rest yeah. of them, I'm I'm unsure, but but anyhow, on a serious matter, yes. <laughs> um, they, uh, I can hear your crew laughing in the background, but they <laughs>
0: they're in hysterics, they're, mate. <laughs> I
2: know. Not they're, not, they're not at you
0: at you suggesting that I'm good looking. That was the <clears throat> bit that sent them over the edge. Just continue on,
2: it. Peter. <laughs> I, I'll try, Trevor. I'll try. Um, yeah, DIY SOS. The Big Build Ireland is a magical collective of wonderful hearts and it's it's up there with with the program that that he had done the, the, the 40k in 40 days um type thing but this is on a massive scale yeah. and considering ireland has a population of about four and a half million people um to to do what we did uh three bills uh nine days approximately um uh, I, I, I'm i every time and there's a hesitancy in my voice as I as I run the gardens through my head but when you ring somebody and say how you doing um, I want you to make me a rocket ship um, and I need a 130 ton tower crane to bring it in over the house and I also want a precast wall um, and I'd like you to, to give me these plans for free and I'd like you to take two weeks off work in the middle of this year and come and build this for free and do seven o'clock in the morning till 11, 12 o'clock at night, you, you have to turn around and, and and get somewhat emotive and stand on the top of a small hill and and applaud that thing. It really is magical. And, and in a world gone mad, I think on one hand, it puts a lot in perspective um, and it makes you very grateful for, for what you have, I, yeah. I guess, in life. Um, and there is a sincerity uh, about, it. I guess, looking at how bad it wasn't for you and then looking at the generosity and and it's a virtual slap across the face and a you know just get out lie in the grass in the middle of the night and look at the moon and and pour yourself a can of guinness and have a little bit of cake and don't be complaining about life it's actually not that bad but the gardens we've made excuse me three very wonderful gardens uh the first one was about two acres of um of ground and we took in three arctic lorries of rollout lawn. We couldn't get them to lift it um, quick enough, really, uh, and, and get it to us. The second one um, was for a young girl called Amy Mulcahy, who was paralyzed from the, the waist down, um, and and some problems, I, I guess, here as well, and in, in just getting uh, better. Um, and we built Amy's garden, I think, in nine days. We had, we had it to a point, Trevor, where I didn't want her to have a garden that reminded her that she was disabled. My apologies for my language and I hope the word is okay. Um, But on the other hand, I had a sort of a belief in my own head that she was going to get better. And when she did, I didn't want her to have to, Mm -hmm. to amend the garden afterwards retrospectively. So we built these big, huge pink structures uh, by way of distraction. And we built a walking assisted frame into the top of these four meter tall or four meter long gabions and we measured the depth of her finger just from her nail going upwards to the first knuckle and the arc of her hands and worked very closely with her occupational therapist um, to get that to get that sorry i'm just in my chair but uh, just to get that right and then i think in the the next one wow. um it, the rocket ship were two young boys about eight years of age who had difficulties again and i'll keep that very loose. Um, but the younger brother was six years of age, and he was Riley. And Riley, I guess, was a carer with his mom and dad for his two brothers. And so how do you get to have time away from the house when um, you've you got to be there to help mom? So by by bringing in the, the, the experts, we had telecommunications put between the main house, the now rocket ship, which you climbed in underneath, uh, he was big into growing his own plants, so we made it into a sort of a quasi-treehouse, glasshouse, um, bird hide. We had a roof open at the top of it, and wow. we got the electricians in, so we, we you could have had a rave in the middle of the garden at nighttime if you really <laughs> wanted to. But ultimately, you start to realize that these things that we're doing, they're, they're, not, you know, they're not miracle wands. They're, they're just changing things for a moment. They're wonderful escapism. And I think the point that I would I was making to my producer, Joe, was that when I was six years of age, and I'm one of eight children, and, and Ireland had its own difficulties at that time, yep. hiding out the back garden and, and playing with plants was exactly that. It was just good, wonderful escapism. It didn't change anything in the greater world, but the, the land of the daydreamers, as my mom um, used to call it, was where I was at my my happiest. And that's exactly what I I, I guess I'm privileged to, to get to do for others now.
0: I think, you know, Peter, that there is something there as well. And, and it's that reality that um, the garden's a place you go to to reground yourself, to re-earth yourself, I suppose, to some extent and, and you know, relax the mind and get rid of some stress. So you, with those three gardens, those... Three very um, deserving um, families or people who've, who've uh, you know suddenly benefited from this amazing work. That you and a it must have been a huge crew to make that all happen. Um, it was an incredible pro amazing projects.
2: We I think in Tipperary, uh, day one we had just shy of about 170 trades on site. Wow. Um, we had another three acre field we were blessed in the sense that we we the house was located on about two acres um and Sinead uh, was the mom uh, Michael was the very young man who who passed away literally went in with a um a headache and some difficulties of sight um and and never got to come home again oh. um and when you Look at the the Barry family who I'm I'm still in touch with. Um, you start to realise that, that you know how do I say it? The the the, the TV crew had um, the wonderful TV crew I should add had a wonderful um, tower, um, and it used to give you a, a 360 view over the entire site. And looking and seeing uh, the amount of vehicles was greater than the entire site that we was build, we were building 170 out of them. And just to give you a, a funny one on this, Trevor, um, DIY SOS, the first build was in Tipperary. Yep. Um, they set up their own spin-off, uh, their own spin-off group afterwards. And somebody who had applied for the show, they went and did her house. Um, directly after we completed theirs, they finished about a month ago, and I noticed because they rang me to let me know um, that my services were required again for free to do the <laughs> next build, which they are due to start in in March. So there's a a sort of um on one hand a, a, a bittersweet, and on the other hand there's a uh, how do you say it, a Kermit the Frog rainbow connection. Mm. um type of a thing of you know one eye to the future it's it's quite similar to the brief that they would have given me in the french garden which is you know not forget the past but you know keep looking towards the sunshine yeah um but but 170 odd i think in episode one we were down to about 140 logically just due to access in in episode two in limerick and when we got to Leek slip in county kildare um, in the middle of a lockdown scenario with people temperature checked and a reduction in skills and a reduction in everything on site. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and everything run, I should add, like a, a very well-oiled machine and, and, and as a construction site should be done, et cetera, et cetera. Um, numbers were still around about the hundred mark. But even wow. at that, the only thing we did was we had less volunteers. We had more skilled Trades and again, when somebody puts down their their tools and turns around to their good lady or their husband and says, "Uh, Honey, I'm leaving you for two weeks, we're going to have no income, and because I'm going to volunteer, you know, that's that's just magic, isn't it?
0: That is magic, mate. That's that's remarkable. Tell me, um, you mentioned you used the the terminology before, uh, uh, sort of looking towards sunshine, and uh, we are looking towards 2021. Mm-hmm. Uh, with you know a little bit of apprehension, there's still a lot unknown, but there are now a lot of positives on the horizon. What what does 2021 offer you?
2: Twenty twenty one is is probably the greatest unknown at this moment in time, Trevor. Um, but I think as well, we sort of know each other. It's i don't really have much time for saying boohoo my violin broke whilst the smallest violin i should have broke whilst i was playing it um you've, you've got to turn around and, and and i guess try and find the the positives within the, the mixed bag that we're all in at this moment in time um but i think at the start of the year i do remember saying to one of my friends um a civil engineer who who's everything by equation and i said I've got a French castle and I don't know whether I can go and, and, and visit it. I, I'm supposed to be back there building it. I'm supposed to be at Hampton Court Palace Flower Show and this television show I'm doing. And he's, he just turned around and said, have you have you heard yourself talking? Have you listened to the to the three greatest complaints that you have? So Hampton Court Palace Flower Show was postponed until uh, this year and the garden we were due to build there was due to be relocated back to Manchester, England afterwards. Um, we'll see what happens there again it's it's an unknown and I understand when it comes to um, other people's money and, and benefactors um, yeah. that you've, you've got to have a little bit of understanding in that but again to be accepted with a design by the Royal Horticultural Society is is no mean feat as you're well aware again um, television show wise we're, we're programmed for uh, episode or series two my apologies that I am aware um, and i think after that the castle logically we're we're at a point again where where travel is um i'll I'll call it cumbersome just for the minute uh or a a challenge so there's a lot of again i'll I'll have to see what happens but uh, as for 2021 that's that's pretty much where we stand we've got another design in for another um garden show but that's in france again coincidental as by the way um but I, I, I guess I I'm, I, don't know. There's a sort of a Tom Petty into the Great White Open. Yeah. Um, but, but at this moment in time, I'll go back and say what my good friend John said to me. You don't really have many complaints when a Royal Horticultural Society show garden, a castle and a television programme may or may not go ahead.
0: Yeah.
2: And, and I'll go back and say it, Trevor. Ultimately, I think they just want me for my dashing good looks and my great sense of humour. But you know how that feels as well, my man.
0: I do look modesty is something that we obviously both share a lot of, but uh, <laughs> but, but I am looking forward to uh, to getting back to Ireland and uh, maybe going and having a a nice Guinness with you at some time, not too far into the future, hopefully.
2: Uh, fingers crossed, Trevor. Look, as I said to you, there's there's very little to complain about. Things are genuinely good. Uh, I've I've got my health. Uh, I've, I've, I'm I'm speaking to an absolute gentleman at this moment in time, and um, <laughs> And and thank you so much for having me on. It's a pleasure to be back on The, the Garden Gurus. It took you 13 years to have me back on, Trevor. But, you know.
0: You, but, you know, it's, you're like a good red wine, mate. You're just getting better with age. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: My mom would have laughed with you as well, Trevor. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: good man. Thanks so much for joining us, Peter. Pleasure, Trevor. Thank you so much. and Pleasure.
3: Garden Express are Australia's leading mail-order gardening service, offering a wide range of quality garden products. Each week on The Garden Guru's Live, the team at Garden Express will share a weekly offer. So make sure, after today's show, you jump online and visit
2: their website.
0: Well, that's a fabulous guy. He's he's an absolute charming, incredibly talented uh, landscape designer and... um, Yeah, I could just chat with him all day. Unfortunately, we couldn't share all of it with you. But one of the things you should keep your eye out for is that TV series that he has been doing because it is a... um very, very special one. It's on RTE, so it's probably one that's going to be a little difficult to see unless you can somehow or other Google it, but I think it'll eventually make its way here to commercial television. Keep your eye out for it. Really good. Sorry about any of the technical difficulties. We did get a few people saying they were having some issues, but if you want to see the whole thing, the whole duration of the interview, you can go and watch our podcast or listen on Podbean, Apple Podcast the two... Uh, opportunities that you've got there. Really cool guy, Peter Donigan. Um, if you ever make it to Dublin, you've got to get over there in June when they have the Bloom Garden Show. It is absolutely beautiful, one of my favourite in the world. All right, shall we get on with it again? Because we've got a lot of questions flowing through and we're going to do our very, very best to cover as many as we can through this period of time. Linda, I'm not sure where you're from, Linda, but she's got a mandarin in a big pot. She's noticed the leaves are losing the green. Just the veins are looking green. Not sure what to give it. Already given it sea salt. Well, sea salt's not a fertiliser. Really important you understand that. Everybody... Um, talks about applying it, and if you're not getting growth as a consequence of applying it, the reason is it doesn't have any nutrients in it. It's actually full of plant hormones, amino acids that are really good for plant health, fortifying the plant, making it stronger, but not driving growth. And those dark green veins are the giveaway as to what the problem is. To put it into context, citrus are gross feeders. They require a complex diet of macro and micronutrients and they do need to be fed on a regular basis. This time of the year, they start to grow is when you'll really see any deficiencies in nutrients in the soil start to stand out. And this is why well-balanced controlled release fertilizers like Osmocote are so good. The short-term fix is going to be applying some iron. So you need to be putting some iron sulfate or iron chelates into the soil. That will provide the iron which will then see the leaves all become dark green and glossy again. But in the future, the real point here is that you need to be feeding using something that's really well balanced and designed for those. So have a have a look at Osmocote. It's it's uh, one of those ones that you can't go wrong with because you can put a handful onto the, the top of the pot and it'll progressively feed the plant over four to six months. I hope that helps. That's um, it's a very very good question, Linda. And don't forget, folks, when you when you dialling in and you're giving us your question, let us know where you are because um, it does help. Because somebody like, say, Jan over here in Perth, she's got this village green lawn and it's got yellow patches. Now, village green is a type of kai a uh, lot more compact, uh, doesn't produce as many seed heads as the wild kai that we know. Kai is a great grass, really, probably one of the very best grasses when it comes to just a tough reliable grass that stays green all year round, but she's getting yellow patches and she's wondering if it's a fungus and she's irrigating it from their ATU. So it's recycled water and um, it's about 170 square meters. She's tried various products to get some results. The key with this will be fertilizer. I'm certain that it's, it's not, a fungus. Uh, we just haven't had the right conditions in Perth really for any kind of real fungal problems, and Kaiku is so resistant to most fungal varieties. What it could be is it could be something like African black beetle or lawn armyworm, and if you're in the northern suburbs, there is a new type of lawn armyworm that's suddenly appearing. Now these are um, you can test for these by soaking the yellow patch, the dry looking patch in your lawn, just on dusk. So get the hose out and literally let it run down and soak and flood the grass. Then take the hose off, turn it off and come back and watch what happens. If you see black beetles coming to the top or you see little grubs coming to the surface, they are your lawn armyworm. They are the black beetle doing the damage, the African black beetle, which is quite common this time of the year. How do you get rid of it? Well, there are treatments for that, and you'll get them in your local garden centre. It's just one of those things. You've really got to make sure that you're very careful with how you go about um, treating it, because some of these these chemicals can be quite toxic. So just have a good look at what you've got, work it out. My gut feel is it's actually just nutrient. Kyku is hungry, it grows like crazy this time of the year and now's the time to be actually giving it a good feed. So I hope that helps. Now, let's keep moving on. Leone from Adelaide. Hello, Leone. I've, I've planted a large cutting of a hot pink frangipani about eight weeks ago. It's only just starting to increase the length of the tiny new shoots on the three branches. The branches are about 18 inches tall. How many years do you think it will take to flower? Leone? do you wanna know the good news or the bad news? This year, if it flowers, and it could do, you want to pick all the flowers off because you want it to put all the growth into the foliage. But next year, when it flowers, stand back and enjoy it because it'll be well and truly on its way, looking fantastic. And of course, it'll be probably quite compact. So you'll be able to appreciate the fragrance of those hot pink flowers, frangipani's are beautiful small trees, I just love them. Now Sarah has got a good question, can I put chook poo straight onto my citrus trees? Sarah, what I would do is I'd put chook poo straight onto my compost heap, but I wouldn't put it straight onto any of my plants. It needs to compost down a little bit, to break down a little bit. It can be very rich in uh, in ammonia and in nitrogen, and that can cause burning on citrus trees. And so the answer is put it into your compost heap, mix it up with your lawn clippings and things like that, and you'll end up with a beautiful black compost. You can spread that all through your garden and you'll fertilise your garden quite naturally. Now, one of the big challenges that we all face as the summer starts to kick in and the weather conditions get drier is that soil moisture levels start to drop and it's evident in the garden where and particularly in the bushland around the outside of where i live at the moment where the ground's starting to dry out and as a consequence the trees are measuring the amount of water that's available to support the amount of foliage that's on the tree as it gets hotter they will start shedding foliage so you'll see a lot of foliage falling onto the ground When it comes to the general garden, that doesn't always happen. But one area that's really noticeable is lawns. Lawns will really have a significant, um, they'll tell you straight away, you'll start seeing white patches basically start to appear. And sometimes um, the lawn will just, because it's growing, will start losing its vitality, its lush greenness. And that's the last thing you want when you've got all your friends coming around at Christmas time. You want it to be really lush and dark green and looking happy. And to give us a little bit of advice on that, we've been very lucky to catch up with Andrew O'Carrigan again. G'day Andrew, he's the technical officer at Evergreen Garden Care. How are you going, mate? Oh, we me seeing. I think he's muted himself. I think you are muted, oh, he's gonna press the button and we're gonna hear you. I can see it happening. Here he is, still. Okay.
3: We can go to some questions.
0: I tell you what, we might need to reconnect, Andrew, and just hook you up one more time. There we go. Now, in the meantime, just whilst we're waiting for Andrew to reconnect, Bridget from Melbourne asked a question, is it possible to move a Japanese maple tree? It's four metres high. The answer, Bridget, is absolutely, they're a deciduous tree. The thing is, you don't want to do it now in the growing season. You want to do it when uh, the tree is dormant. So wait to the winter. Try and get as much of the root ball as you can. And yes, they do transplant really well. James is in Fremantle. My brassicas were destroyed by caterpillars in winter and now they're gone and the brassicas are growing back. Is it worth keeping them or just move on? Please help me, Coco. Good on you, James. What a great question. i tell you what, those guys down in Fremantle and Perth, they're pretty interesting. You know, they're, they're very green, so they never want to use chemicals, which is why they always end up with caterpillars on their brassicas. But the answer is, at the moment, if it's growing back, it's going to have a lot of foliage. Um, you're going to benefit from that. So it depends on what you've got. But that's the, that's the broccoli, the broccolini, the cabbage, all of that, those families there. So um, I think we might have got Andrew back. Andrew, how are you going? You got me there. There we are. That's great. That's great. Thanks for joining us, mate. It's (laughs) lovely to see you. Just going back over, Andrew is the technical officer at Evergreen Garden Care. You're in a glass house. I know the level of research that you guys do with regards to product. You don't just, you're not just developing your own product, you're testing it against the benchmarks in the rest of the industry. What have we got behind us there? Uh,
3: We've got some experimental potting mix and some of our national suppliers. So, an annual thing that we do um it's ongoing in terms of our development and for potting media which is a a big part of our business we're continually looking to make sure that one we're keeping the benchmark and we're keeping up the standards for the industry yeah
0: i know we're not here to talk about potting mix and 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 that but (laughs) but just because you're in that environment and it demonstrates the level of um i suppose the the level of research and constant understanding as to the quality of the products that you're you're producing and also that's available to gardeners so that you can make sure that you're lifting the standard all the time and performance gets better and better. There's a big challenge at the moment with potting mixes because there's been such a huge growth in the, the garden market this year that um, all the raw materials are getting, getting used up, aren't they? So you're constantly researching new materials.
3: Look, we've got uh, very happy gardeners out there buying loads and loads of potting mix. And for our sector, which is based on a lot of the raw materials from pine um, and so you know, similar materials out there, they're getting drawn down very heavily and we're having to continually race to keep up with demand. Um, yep. in some states it's harder than others and for that we're looking at some alternative materials which are really exciting um, but do show good levels of performance and in some cases better than your standard pine bark so we're really on wow. the cusp of an evolution of our retail branded potting mix for for evergreen uh, yeah
0: very exciting well look, I know that that's that's um, just a small example of the amount of of Effort you guys put into establishing, you know, new products and, and helping people solve problems with, with old products or problems in their gardens. One of the big things, and I mentioned it just before, is that as we move into drier conditions, um, the way plants perform, particularly lawns, changes quite dramatically. And as we come into Christmas, when you've got all your friends coming around, your neighbours coming over for a glass of wine, you want to go and sit out on the lawn, you want the lawn to be lush and green. But we start seeing sometimes patches emerging or the lawn's had a big growth period with warmer weather and suddenly it's lost its vitality. You guys developed a product that really in a very short period of time turns the, the lawn into a beautiful, rich, dark green.
3: Yeah, we've got three-day greening. Um, it's a good little sporting claim for us, but the secret behind uh, this product is its high rate of iron as, as well with the high rates of uh, nitrogen. And we've got slow-release and fast-acting urea and potassium nitrate. So this is Extreme Green. Extreme yep. Green is in a granular form and in a liquid hose-on form. And you're right, when you're coming into these uh, big event periods of the year and you're getting your family and your friends together, um, you want to make sure that your lawn's looking really good, um, ideally lush and green. But if it's on that hungry side, and you've mentioned a couple of things that will indicate that, like a um, kind of a bleaching effect or a a lessening of that general green that you'd expect, these products will react really quickly. Um, They will drive that green into the leaf and you'll see fantastic performance in three days and again with longevities up to three months
0: so I, I, was, I was just going to clarify that you you said three days and then you said three days again in three days you can see a visual change in the in the the color of the lawn
3: absolutely look if you are starting with a very deep green lawn um, yep. expect that it'll you know take on those nutrients but it will only go as far as the green can allow it but with that really high rate of iron that's in there Um, Iron is fantastic when it's in that really soluble format to drive the green response quickly. And then when you put on top of that really fast acting nitrogens like urea and methylene ureas, then you will certainly, um, you know, make that plant jump and provide that green response. And you'll get that on all types of lawn. You'll get it from Buffalo right through to Kikuyu and Cooch. A fantastic response and really important for people to get that message that if you're Um, about to have an event and you're worried about your lawn looking less than desirable, uh, Extreme Green is there to actually give you that solution.
0: So you mentioned this too, there's a liquid and a granular. Um, Do they both perform the same way? Is it three days for both?
3: That's right. We've got a liquid formulation which is um, full solubles that have gone in to give you those high rates of nitrogen. Again, Um, we've got a lovely rate of of high iron in there so when you apply that product you'll see a rosy red color if you actually saw the concentrate of that in the bottle it's a deep red color that's the the high iron in there Um, and it will fast act as well it's great for that foliar feeding and it's got a a long-term feed up to about um, eight nine weeks and then we've got our granular format which is your lawn builder specialties that have the long chain your and they'll yep. um, act to do the same thing but with a much longer feed claim on them.
0: Oh wow, that's, that's pretty incredible technology but what a cheat. I mean, what a great way to cheat. Best, best lawn in the street in three days, right? That's, a, that's incredible. You can
3: see in all the forums and on the net where people are talking about lawns at the moment, the, the people that really have pride, um, their secret is iron. So they've mm-hmm. gone in and they've done renovations between September and October, November starting to heat up in a lot of parts of Australia. So they've really tailored in their nutrition program. So they're yep. using some long, slow release methyl in your ears, and then they want to go to the next level. They want to groom their lawn and get it looking just, just absolutely smick. We'll use that word. They yep. apply liquid iron. Um, they might do it as a, a single line ingredient, but for the general consumer, you've got this product here, which is a full tailored product, which will suit yeah. those lawns and give you that. that so oil. Andrew,
0: the big question people will be asking themselves right at the moment is, okay, lawn builder, extreme green, liquid fertilizer or granular, where do I get it?
3: Um, Bunnings. You know, we stock yeah. in loads of Bunnings stores. Uh, I believe you can find this also in a variety of other nurseries, such as Flower Power, um, you'll just have to hunt it out. But if you're close enough to a bunning store, suddenly drop in there and have a look down the fertiliser aisle towards the lawn section and yep. you'll see the extreme green in the hose on and the four kilo or two and a half kilo, I believe, in the um, in the aisle as well next to all the other lawn granular fertilisers.
0: Great work, Andrew. No, no wonder you guys love the garden so much, hey?
3: Uh, look, it's been a fantastic year for gardeners. I know that amongst all the craziness that we've experienced, people have really turned back to what's in their front and backyard, and and it has been uh, enormous in terms of our our growth around that for the consumers. We've developed some wonderful products. Um, lawn Builder is a legacy brand. It continues to show great results for the home consumer, but we're moving into so many exciting new areas for lawn. We've got Performance Naturals um, ahead of us for lawn, which will be a really exciting option for the organic and natural ingredient um, favours out there, yep. for people. Andrew,
0: I can hear That's this I can, product, yeah. I can hear the sprinklers coming on. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I'm probably about I to get wet here, am I?
0: <laughs> I love your work. I love your work. Thanks for joining us, mate. Have a lovely Christmas. Thanks for all of your support through the year and sharing all this knowledge. It's been great working with you.
3: Merry Christmas to you and all the team as well, Trevor. Thanks for having us on. All the best. Thanks, mate.
0: Cheers. Bye-bye. No worries. Now, I've got a little uh, little highlight for you um, that uh, I've just uh, posted uh, in the last week on our Facebook page. One of my favourite trees, of course, Christmas time, it's all about red. And uh, this is the Poinciana. So this is a plant called Delonyx regia. It's, uh, it's a tropical tree, really. So uh, very difficult to grow in the colder climates or where you get frosts. Um, Absolutely loves warmer climates, so it's doing really well. The photos that I'm sharing I took in a place called Exmouth, which is about um, 12 hours by car north of Perth, and uh, they, uh, they've they planted them on the streets. They're street trees. This is a wonderful spreading tree. It's, it's a spread of up to 20 metres, height of about 15. Absolutely grows this beautiful flat shape, but this time of the year it is smothered in these orchid-like red flowers, just thousands of them, tens of thousands of them. And it's just one of those trees. If you've got some space for them, then you should give it a go. And if you're looking for an alternative because you can't grow Poincianas because they are just a bit too tropical, well then what you might want to think about is another one which is uh, a member of the liquid amber family. And um, it, it's one of those trees that's an Australian native called the Illawarra flame tree. Uh, and that right at the moment is covered with red flowers as well. A lot more upright sort of shape but beautiful trees. So this is a great way to cool the house and garden down during the summer months. And if you want colour and you want to celebrate Christmas, these are better than Christmas lights. They just look fantastic. Point Sienna trees. I hope you enjoyed that. Steve from Perth has written in. He would like to know what care should he be giving a, a young five-year-old citrus and some apple trees in Perth right now? Well, look, this, this will apply everywhere. Don't go feeding them now. Uh, don't go applying too much water now because they've probably started setting some fruit. And if you overfeed and overwater, you end up with split fruit um, just before they ripen, which is a bit frustrating. Um, So really at present, it's just make sure they don't set back. Let them take up the sunlight. And as long as 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 they've been getting a good, well-balanced, controlled release fertiliser, they'll be fine. That's all you need to do, Steve. Kang in Perth, we're getting a run of Perth uh, questions, which is great. I would love to know if I can only repot Phalaenopsis orchids into clear plastic pots so I can't get any at the moment. Uh, Will they do well in a normal black plastic pot? Yes, absolutely, King. They don't need it to be in a clear pot. Um, They'll do quite well in a a plastic pot, so you don't have to worry about that side of things. Uh, I know the growers do grow them in those clear plastic, but there's there's no actual need for that. Um, Phalaenopsis orchids are, of course, the moth orchid and right now you'll be seeing that um, they should have, some of them will have finished their flush of flower from the spring and they'll actually put out new growth off the flower stem, which will end up being some more flowers that will come in probably just after Christmas, probably sort of even late January and you'll get them. They should last all the way through um, the autumn months, which is great. Love them and thanks for your support, Ken. I know, uh, Ken, you've given us a lot of good questions throughout this series and uh, really enjoy it. Phil from Perth. Another one in Perth. I tried getting some pawpaw seeds going from abort fruit. they germinated. I kept some indoors and some out. Uh, they were kept moist in what I thought were good conditions, but after reaching three to four centimetres, they dropped and died. Now, you know what I reckon you've got there, Phil? I think you've got, um, you've got a root rot fungus, so it could be called one of the collar rots, but you've got to be really careful that, um, that you don't put too much moisture on them. They need to be moist, but, uh, but certainly not damp, not overly damp is maybe the right way to put it. So if you can stick your finger in the soil and it feels moist, it's great. If you stick your finger in the soil and it's really wet, that's problematic and that'll encourage that root rot or collar rot fungus that's causing those problems. Give it a go. Now is the time to be growing pawpaws from seed. They do grow really, really well. In fact, almost every single seed from a pawpaw plant will germinate and grow, and then you can just spread them in little clumps in and around the garden. You're not going to get all those plants survive, but you will end up with, you know, maybe from one pawpaw fruit, you'll end up with at least Four or five plants, little clusters of plants, and it's good to grow them in the clumps because if you've got a a, a sexual variety that needs to be cross-pollinated, I just got Michaela's attention, um, that needs to be cross-pollinated, you will need to have a, a male and a female flower there, and they come from different plants. There are some bisexual pawpaws, and they can actually just pollinate themselves, but that's you know up to you as to what you uh, what you do. I would plant them in little clusters. You might hear the giggling going on in the background. Well, it's not Jimmy, I can tell you. So that would tell you there was only one other person. Claire. Sex in the garden. Claire in Perth. Hello. How are you going, Claire? Can I fertilize my lawn during the day or should I wait for the evening? Claire Really, the key with fertilizers, these days you should be going for one of these controlled release lawn fertilizers. We were just talking about Lawn Builder, and this is a slow release. So, it's a special type of nitrogen that releases over a long period of time. You don't even have to water this one in. You can apply it in the morning, afternoon, or early evening. It doesn't matter. I would be looking at Lawn Builder because that is the best thing for our environment here in Perth. Wow, we had a lot of questions. I suppose at this point in time, you're wondering who might have won the books and the seeds. Um, and I'll just show you those books there's, just before we do that. And there's, this, there's our seeds from Fothergills. Somebody's going to get some of these. Fabulous books. Jamie Jury said, this is a must-have book for anyone to preserve our native environment. From Seeds to Leaves, wonderful book by Doug and Robin Stewart. Um, very concerned. We've we've stayed on that propagation theme. There's Angus Stewart with his Let's Propagate book. Josh Byrne from Gardening Australia, another another Gardening Australia talent and, and a local Perth boy as well, uh, with his book. Uh, this is great. This is um, a book called Bloom, and we talked about inspiring gardens. This is the. Bloom Garden Festival that we're talking about, that Peter Donegan was talking about where I first had the pleasure of meeting him. Um, If you get this book, I can guarantee you'll be going to Ireland to experience this show. And right now, we're getting hundreds and hundreds of photos of these beautiful plants, roses. And this is a book that I wrote quite a few years ago with Nev Passmore, and it's all about... Roses, And you can see there's all this information, all the different varieties, um, new varieties that are now pretty popular varieties. We've got two of those. So Michaela's pulling on her hair at the moment, which means that I'm dragging this out a bit too long. Um, You want to know who's won, right? Who's won all these amazing prizes? Well, Bam from Perth. Well done. Melissa from the Gold Coast. Jan from Perth. Roz from the Blue Mountains. Jan and and Steve um, from Perth as well. And Jody from New South Wales. How good's that? Great prizes. Merry Christmas. Thank you very much. The Garden Gurus Spring Series does continue this weekend. We're getting right to the end of it, but it just gets better. Please check your local TV guides, but it, it will run on Channel 9 at 430 across the country. Remember, if there's anything that you want to, I suppose, cover back over that you've seen or heard in this particular uh, podcast, you can just go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Podbean, and you can listen to the whole program. You could also listen to the full chat with Peter Donegan on, that, uh, on those platforms. And of course, we'll post this on Facebook, on our Facebook page later today as well. Whew busy morning. I hope you have a lovely weekend. Thanks very much, The Garden Gurus Live. We'll be back at 12pm Australian Eastern Daylight Standard Time next week on Friday. I'm Trevor Cochran. We'll see you then.
1: The Garden Gurus is back on your screens this weekend. Tune in to 9 and 9 HD this Saturday at 4.30pm across all states. And if you'd like to catch up on the previous episode, tune into 9 Life this Saturday at 5pm. When in doubt, Make sure you check your local TV
2: guide.